everybody here. So, like, like God, I, I'm a bloke who's really slow to anger. I'm someone who's just filled with compassion and, and understanding. I, I'm just a regular man of the people. And if 40 won't stand up for the people against the oppression that they're suffering at the hands of the intellectuals, then, then who will? And so I say to you this day, right? I say to you, Harvard University. I say to you, Yale University. I say to you, the University of Chicago, Stanford University. I say to you, UCLA and Oxford and Cambridge. I say to you this day, let my people go. They will no longer be slaves to you. They would no longer subsidize you, right? They will no longer be, be you know, little objects that you manipulate, right? You, you won't have the, the salt of the earth to, to bash around anymore because 40 is saying, let my people go right here, right now. I'm taking a stand. I'm saying enough of this intellectual elite contempt for the common people. You know who also had contempt for the common people? You, you know who also had contempt for the first-person essay? Adolf Hitler, all right? So these Hitlerian exterminationist genocidal attitudes of, of contempt for the common people well, I'm not putting up with it anymore. I am saying to you here and now, enough. All right, so this is the act of persuasion, a, a words without borders conversation with the uh, professor at Oxford University, Merve Emery. Everyone that Adam is a champ because he has COVID. <laughs> he is. You were supposed to. <laughs> Go on. <laughs> and he told me not to make this. him laugh because he'll honk like that if, if I do. Um, <laughs> Uh, and I want to apologize in advance because there are a bunch of uh, drunk college students outside of my office making lots of noise. So if you hear honking on my end, that's where, that's where it's coming from. So. Great. We'll make sure. Maybe they'll really learn something from us tonight. I, I, I doubt it. We're not going to put up with this anymore. <laughs> and I always know, so speaking of heroism, when I see Merve in her business pajamas, I know it's going to be an excellent event. Is it 11 at night where you are? It is 11 at night. It is 11 at night where I am. And I don't know who stays in there, you know, jeans or whatever until until near midnight, but I don't. So. We're not going to put up with this. All right, we're not going to be manipulated just because she's in a very classy pajamas, just because she's drop dead gorgeous. All right, we're not going to put up with being depersoned, dehumanized. All right. So let's go to the impersonal essay, Oxford Center for Life Writing. And we're not going to put up with this Hi, anymore. Everybody. Thank you for joining me today. We're not gonna the put title up of this. my talk is The Impersonal Essay, and it is the first part of a longer essay on the history and the aesthetic function of the personal essay as a genre that will be appearing uh, sometime next year in the Cambridge Companion to the Essay, edited by Evan Kindley. So this sounds, oh, all right, this sounds, you know, so academic. It sounds, you know, filled with love and kindness, but you don't understand the monster behind these these pretty words. You don't understand what's really going on. So I'm talking about this Merve Emery essay in the November 3rd, 2022 edition of the New York Review of Books. So please get out your, your latest edition of the, the New York Review of Books and, and let's 
Let's walk through this together. Okay. So you, got me, you got me in my business jammies, yeah. We're exhausted. We're on cough medication. Let's get into it. Uh, You're ill. Yeah, let's, let's, yeah. let's do it, man. Yeah. It's going to be great. So we wanted I mean, to start. This website is amazing. Okay, you take guys, it away. You guys, you guys have done. Sorry. So please, I, I want you to, to pick up the November 3 New York Review of Books. All right. Uh, Merve Emery, The Fictions of the Personal Essay. So please like like pick up your new york review of books let's do this together right we are not just individuals having a subjective experience or right? so we're children of god who are having a social and transcendent and spiritual experience we're not just physical beings all right having physical experiences all right we're we're spiritual beings who just so happen to have you know physical manifestations and so it's on page 43, all right? The illusion of the first person, all right? See, you see how it works, the illusion of the first person? She's saying that we're, we're, the, the, what we're having right now, aside from like the social and the objective experience of this is just like world-class live streaming. I mean, this is like Top Gun, you know, theology, philosophy, literary criticism. I mean, this has got it all, but... We're also, in addition to all those awesome objective experiences, all those social experiences that we're having right now, we are allowed our subjective experiences, but she wants to deny them to us, right? Page 43, please turn in your New York Review of Books. The illusion of the first person, right? I'm having a social experience with you, but I'm also having a subjective personal first person experience, and she wants to say that doesn't count for anything. This is just like Schindler's List, right? I'm like that little girl, like, except I'm not wearing red, right? I'm like that little girl, like I'm being sent to the gas chambers right now. And and all I'm going to leave behind essentially is this live stream. Like this live stream is my teddy bear from Schindler's List saying, no, let my people go. We get to have our subjective first person experiences and you don't get to diminish them. You don't get to deny them. All right. I'm not going to put up with it. I'm going to stand up for the people. All right. So she claims that the first person is illusion. All right. This is this is absolutely bonkers. Like how on earth could a smart, charming, beautiful woman with such a nice free neck and lovely pajamas like Oxford scholar Merve Emery believe this? The best explanation for why she believes something so bonkers is that she's been overtaken by the insanity that's simply endemic to her social class of intellectuals. So. I want you to also pick up, go to your bookshelf right now and withdraw from it John Kerry's 1993 book. I think he was also an Oxford scholar. The Intellectuals and the Masses, Pride and Prejudice Among the Literary Intelligentsia, 1880 to 1939. Right? His thesis is that once the masses gained literacy, intellectuals had to deny the humanity of those people in order to feel good about themselves. That's what these intellectuals here are doing when they're saying that there's no first person is just a fiction. I don't believe that my subjective first person experiences are fictional. I don't believe they're nothing. I feel, I yearn, right? I have weaknesses. I have longings. I have desires. I have passions. I have hopes and dreams. Don't tell me that they're a fiction. Right. Here's the subhead to her essay, a historical survey of the personal essay shows it to be the purest expression of the lie. Wow, that's that's pretty heavy wording here. Purest expression of the lie. 
that individual subjectivity, right? That's my own personal experience. Aside from the collective, social, transcendent, objective, transformative, revolutionary, moral, philosophical, and religious experience that we're all collectively having right now, I'm also having my own individual, inner, first-person, subjective experience. And does that count for nothing? Am I just like that little girl being sent into the gas chambers? Right? My individual subjectivity is a lie. Right? So this is what she says. Historical survey of the personal essay shows it to be the purest expression of the lie that individual subjectivity exists prior to the social formations that gave rise to it. Okay, so there's no individual subjective experience prior to participating in society. What about those of us who essentially grew up outside of society? Do we not have a genuine inner life? I was raised I was raised in outback Australia by kangaroos and dingoes and and did I not have feelings? Did I not have first person individual subjective experiences? And then, you know, later on, I, I, I made common cause with Aborigines, you know, as I was navigating the, the complexities and dangers of life in, in outback Australia. So I grew up outside polite society. You know, I grew up a Seventh-day Adventist. I was on the margins. I was shunned and shunted away from society. Are you going to deny me my genuine inner life? Are you going to deny me the importance of my subjective experiences? And she begins her essay with a quote from Theodore Adorno, who, as we all know, is a member of the Frankfurt School, right? These, these left-wing Marxist socialist deconstructionists, right? Theodore Adorno says, the essay form bears some responsibility for the fact that bad essays tell stories. And I, I'm just trying to get my iPhone to open up here. That bad essays, all right, bad essays tell stories about people instead of elucidating the, the matter at hand. So what the hell? Why exactly is telling an essay about people? Like, how is that inferior? Why is it a bad essay if you're telling a story about people instead of elucidating the matter at hand? Why can't the matter at hand be the individual and his subjective experiences? I long. I loathe. I feel. I love and hate. I desire. I have passion, right? I feel, sometimes I feel lost and lonely inside. I feel scared. I feel helpless. Sometimes I feel strong and mighty, right? You're going to tell me that those feelings count for absolutely nothing? Why, why are live streams about my inner subjective experiences like bad? Like why are these bad vlogs? Like why do I have to elucidate some objective matter at hand? Why can't we just spend time here? You know, talking about, you know, my subjective experiences. Like, I, I don't mind talking with women. Right? I mean, I've gotten to understand, right, you know, what's been going on, why I feel so much fatigue, Right? I understand my profound sense of fatigue. Oh, you can't see it. It's not objective. It's my subjective experience. Yeah, I understand the feelings of emptiness that I've had following COVID. But luckily, I've been able to interpret these feelings correctly 
They're all about loss of essence. And this woman, Merve Emery, says that, that my essence, my inner subjectivity accounts for nothing. Now, I can assure you that these feelings have not recurred. It is professors like Merve Emery, they sense my power. Dr. Merve Emery, she seeks the life essence. And I do not avoid the professors. I do not avoid the women. But I do deny them my essence. And I say to them, let my people go. No more sucking at the public tit to deny people their individual subjective experiences and to say that essays about people are somehow bad people. Let my people go. I mean, this way of thinking represents a complete loathing of you and me. It's a loathing of the people. And, and naturally, Merve Emery, she is a Virginia Woolf scholar, right? Virginia Woolf, shortly before she died, this is what she wrote in a journal. Wednesday, 26th of February, 1941. Yesterday in the ladies' lavatory at the Sussex Grill at Brighton, I heard, she's a little simpering thing. I don't like her. But then he never did care for big women. He has wonderful white teeth. He always had. It's fun having the boys. If he don't look out, he'll be court-martialed. They were powdering and painting these common little tarts. Notice the contempt here, these common little tarts. I mean, I don't speak that way about women. I respect women. I love women. I adore women. While I sat behind a thin door, peeing as quietly as I could. Then I was at Fuller's, a fat, smart woman in red hunting cap pearls, check skirt, consuming rich cakes. Why shouldn't fat women eat all the rich cakes they want? Are you going to deny them their subjective first-person experiences? Her shabby dependent also stuffing. So a fat woman and her kids are eating cakes, and you want to deny them that? You, you just want to pour out your contempt on them? They ate and ate, and that's a bad thing? Something centered, shoddy, parasitic about them. Look at this contempt that the intellectuals have for, for ordinary people and their subjective first-person experiences. Where does the money come to feed these fat white slugs? You know who also had these attitudes? Adolf Hitler. All right, so John Kerry, in his, his great, great book, all right, The Intellectuals and the Masses, Pride and Prejudice Among the Literary Intelligentsia, he, he notes that when Virginia Woolf wrote this entry in a journal, she had only a short time to live. Madness and suicide were soon to claim her. Right? She's nuts. But it's a kind of insanity that is endemic to her social class of intellectuals. Right, this harmless chatter that Virginia Woolf is listening to with rage and loathing, all right, it's the same sort of you know, women's conversation we hear in T.S. Eliot's The Wasteland. You know, the topics are the same, men, teeth, the army. The phrasing is echoed. Like, this is what's going on. T.S. Eliot, Virginia Woolf, Adolf Hitler, they all loathe ordinary people doing ordinary things. All right? This scene is invented. The women at Fuller's are not slugs. I mean, common little tarts is such a dismissive way of describing the occupants of the Sussex Grill Laboratory. I mean, she imagines the women, and she's just absolutely infuriated by what she imagines. Like, the intellectuals have these fantasies about the masses, and it just arouses in the intellectuals this fury, loathing, and fear. They are not comfortable to live with the masses, right? So the intellectual phobias that dominate people like Merve Emery and Virginia Woolf and Adolf Hitler, right, these phobias are circular, they're self-deluding. The mass is invented by the intellectual, whom the invention then gives pain to, right? This is insanity. 
So here's another example. Rainer Heppenstall, 1911 to 1981. He was a friend of George Orwell, Dylan Thomas, Eric Gill, Middleton Murray. He worked for 20 years as a drama producer for the highbrow BBC Third Program. He was an archetypical 20th century intellectual. He regarded himself as a failed artist who'd been neglected by a Philistine public. He achieved brief celebrity with his first novel, The Blaze of Noon, published in 1939. His later novels met no comparable success. Though his BBC job gave him ample income, he watched the dwindling proceeds of his writing resentfully. And he enjoyed contemplating the extinction of large sections of humanity, just like Nietzsche, just like H.G. Wells, just like Adolf Hitler, right? Just once the extinction of large sections of humanity. So he, he writes in his journal, there are a whole race, the Arabs and a mongrel people, the Irish, right? Richard Spencer also has these inclinations. Upon whom, if it were possible merely by pressing a button i would happily commit total genocide right this is like richard spencer's attitude towards uh marjorie taylor green the maga crowd turks all these other people so let's get back to merve emery this is how she begins the personal essay is a genre that is difficult to define why what's so difficult i didn't even graduate college i can define it but easy to denounce the offending element is rarely the essay as a form, but its content, the personal. A permanent temptation for a form whose suspiciousness of false profundity does not protect it from turning into slick superficiality, writes Adorno. So a list of counterparts to the personal essay might include more admirable imaginary genres such as the structural essay, the communal essay, the public essay, the critical essay, and the impersonal essay. Or as Adorno insinuates, the good essay, which prioritized elucidating the matter at hand instead of telling stories about people as bad essays do. So why is the personal just so delicious to denounce? Why are the structural, the communal, the public, the critical, and the impersonal essay superior to the personal essay? Do my feelings not count? Like, What's wrong? What is lacking in value in my subjective first-person experiences? Like what we have here at core is just a loathing of humanity so intense that it is insane. There is no inherent justification for believing that the personal is of less importance than the structural and the impersonal. Right? The only way to believe, as Mervé Emery does, is to have this overwhelming need to distinguish yourself from ordinary people by simply pouring out contempt for that which is humane, such as the feelings and experiences and the yearnings and the young longings of the individual and Kara Whitman so the talk as it is structured begins with an epigraph and that epigraph comes from Theodore Adorno's the essay as form and here it is the essay form however bears some responsibility for the fact that bad essays tell stories about people instead of elucidating the matter at hand. to speak of the so why is that bad? Right? What's so horrible about that? Sorry, I, I'm sure you had something something planned that got us it's to this beautiful. point. But I'm going to skip it all and say that that I think what you guys have done is is absolutely extraordinary. And I that's because it's intellectuals who are doing a words without borders thingy, right? It's not ordinary people. So she's got lots of praise for the intellectuals, but the yearnings and subjective first person experiences of the you know regular Joe, right? She only has contempt, right? So by the late 19th century, we had universal education. We had the spread of literacy to the masses. And this empowered intellectuals like the Merve Emery's of the 19th century 
to produce a mode of culture which you could call modernism that the masses could not enjoy. So the new availability of culture through TV and other popular media has now driven intellectuals to evolve an anti-popular cultural mode that uh, essentially reprocesses all existing culture and takes it out of the reach of the majority. Right? You can call this post-structuralism or deconstruction or just a theory. Essentially begins with the work of Jacques Derrida in the 1960s, and then he attracted all these imitators among academics, literary students eager to identify themselves as the intellectual avant-garde. So to do that, they have to establish their anti-popular, anti-individual, anti-first-person subjective experiences to establish their anti-popular status, right? They need a theory to define. not necessarily highly educated audience. So another problem that intellectuals have with the first person essay and with TV and with popular culture is that awful thing, human interest, right? TV has broad appeal because it focuses on personality, right? Intellectuals like Merve Emery, they load the subjective first person experiences of, of individuals. Right, so in TV's cultural coverage, that they interview writers, actors, directors, right? But theory dismisses biographical approaches as trivial and irrelevant. It, it denies that there is any ascertainable connection between authors or artists and the meaning of the works they produce. So theory is basically in accord with the early 20th century aesthetics of uh, Clive Bell's work Art and Ortega y Gasset's The Dehumanization of Art, which taught that only people incapable of emotion look for human interest it, it's uh, somehow low and beneath you to look for human interest and take take a concern with the subjective first person experience and these are just sentimental irrelevancies in artistic works so the the passion and the pain of the man behind the poet that's simply the province of the degenerate master it's not, it's not for the specially gifted minority right theory is all about uh, making obeisance to Nietzsche, just like Richard Spencer, right? Richard Spencer here is the typical modernist intellectual with absolute contempt for populism, nationalism, and, and the people. So this theory teaches that art and literature, they're all just self-referential, self-reflexive. They, they have no relevance whatsoever to the real world as the life ordinary people lead. Right? This is perfectly in accord with the Bloomsbury aesthetics, horror of the photographic realism of the gross herd. You know, what the ordinary people clamber for, you know, newspapers, realistic writing. Right? This led Clive Bell to disdain 17th century Dutch art as simply a collection of chromo Roland Barthes wrote an essay, The Death of the Author. Right? This is a landmark in the late 20th century dehumanization of literature. And he urges his disciples to be aristocratic readers. And that's essentially the mission here of a Mauvais Emery. I spent hours uh, that I did not have to spend today reading through, uh, you know, the first the first seven or eight pieces that are that are highlighted on the homepage. So really, congratulations and congratulations to the whole. Yeah, but that's only congratulations to to the to the intellectually elite. The personal essay is to speak of a genre that is difficult to define, but easy to denounce in a loud, almost indignant clamor to the world at large. The offending element is rarely the essay as a form. It passes unscathed. 
but its apparent content, the personal, a permanent temptation for a form whose suspiciousness of false profundity does not protect it from turning into slick superficiality, writes Theodore Adorno in the essay. So notice all this tension here in her throat, man. She, she could receive so much benefit from, from a good Alexander Technique lesson. So let's go to Merv Emery's second and third paragraphs here. What makes essays that tell stories about people bad? For Adorno, as for Walter Benjamin, one of the essays that Adorno most admired, essays about people betray the true object of essayistic criticism, the private individual. Private individual is not a particular person with a particular story to tell, no matter how distinctive, original, or purely bizarre that story may be. Private individual is not a proper name, not Virginia Woolf or Elizabeth Hardwick, nor Joan Didion or Zadie Smith, right? Rather, it is the idea that animates all these figures, the powerful, unobtrusive concept that gives the personal essay the appearance of ventriloquizing a singular and spontaneous subjectivity, right? So there's nothing bad about essays that tell stories about people. Like, to believe this is inherently bad is to require a leap of faith into an insane world, Right. Now I'm sure we're all better. We're all, you know, better here. We're all better off. We're all grateful for the for the piercing insights of high IQ people such as Theodore Adorno and Walter Benjamin, who who blessed us with with such profundities as the objective essays about people is the individual. Without Adorno, without Benjamin, without the Frankfurt School, without Merve Emery, I would never have known that the objective essays about people is the individual. Who would have thought such stunning commentary? This is why we need Oxford and Cambridge and Stanford. Like, who else could have come up with this? Would never have occurred to me if Adorno and Benjamin hadn't said it. Like, otherwise, I would have thought that the true object of essays about people were, were black hole physics. Right? So when Merve Emery states that the private individual is not a proper name, she's saying regular people count for nothing and they are worthy of extinction. Because what kind of person is not worthy of a proper name only a useless eater. Movie Emery writes, most essayists and scholars who write about the personal essay agree that its I is by necessity and choice an artful construction. Such stunning insight. You know what else are artful constructions? Luke Ford live streams, the New York Review of Books and its productions, the pyramids, the Great Wall of China, Chichen Itza, Petra, Machu Picchu, the Christ the Redeemer statue in Rio de Janeiro, the Colosseum in Rome, the Taj Mahal in India. What do all these things have in common? They are all artful constructions. How on earth is something nothing and useless just because it is an artful construction? How is something reduced to nil by being artistic and constructed? Like from my primitive perspective, right, artful constructions are usually of far more worth than unartful deconstructions. Mervé Emery writes, watch they say as it flickers in and out of focus as a simulacrum, a chameleon, a made-up self, a series of distorting representations of the individual from whose consciousness it originates and whose being it registers. So if the subject of the personal essay or the live stream doesn't flicker, if he remains in focus, then it's objectively good. You know what stays in focus? You know, Luke Ford live streams, realist writing, good TV, good movies, Right? What exactly is worthless about a subject that flickers, is created, and has chameleon qualities? Do, do only those objects that never change and always shine brightly deserve our respect and attention and admiration? Why? The individual does not originate from himself, and the individual does not only register in himself. 
The individual is always the product of two people mating, and he's usually born and raised in a tribe, and he knows himself through his interactions with others in the tribe upon whom he makes varying impressions. Right? I don't only register in myself. I register in your heart and soul. As form. Consulting even the soberest of entries in the Oxford English Dictionary does nothing to shape the dismissal and suspicion the personal evokes. If anything, it only intensifies it. The personal, we are reminded, is what is individual and private. Its concerns are bodily, physical. It signals the presence, immediacy, and particularity. Oh, shoot. Whoops, I just uh, accidentally deleted <laughs> that, that window. Anyway, what is of so li little care and concern about the body? Like, what's wrong with the body? The body is awesome. Right? There's absolutely no reason whatsoever to have contempt for the body. I mean, Hitler had these same attitudes, right? Wyndham Lewis, right? The intellectual's intellectual. Rebecca West said, there's no one who can more deeply thrill one. T.S. Eliot calls Wyndham Lewis the most fascinating personality of our time, the greatest prose master of style of my generation. Right, Wyndham Lewis was was a big uh, champion of, of Hitler, and Hitler's worldview that the, the, the masses are essentially you know useless eaters. All right, that's you know that's the same attitude of these intellectuals. Right, the masses are a fiction. You know what's a fiction? It's not the individual and his first person subjective experiences. The masses are a fiction. This is John Kerry in his great book, The Intellectuals and the Masses. Right? The masses functions to eliminate the humanity of the vast majority of people, to deprive them of those distinctive features that make users of the term masses in their own esteem superior. Right? St. Augustine wrote about the masses, right? the condemned mass, and he meant the whole race, with the exception of those elect individuals whom God had inexplicably decided to save. So, yeah, there's a well-established Christian precedent for disposing of the surplus mass by combustion, right? And this was finally given practical expression in our century in Hitler's death camps. Now, probably the classic intellectual account of the advent of mass culture in the early 20th century was by the Spanish philosopher Jose Ortega y Gasset. His book was called, in English translation, The Revolt of the Masses. It was published in 1930s. It's all worried about population increase. His ideas really come from Nietzsche, who also deplored overpopulation. Many, too many are born, his Zarathustra declares, and they hang on their branches much too long. I wish a storm would come and shake all this rottenness and worm-eatenness from the tree. Everywhere, the mediocre are combining in order to make themselves master. Right? Doesn't this sound like uh, Richard Spencer? So Nietzsche... Is probably one of the earliest products of mass culture. Mass culture generated Nietzsche in opposition to itself. Right? The immense popularity of Nietzsche's ideas among early 20th century intellectuals suggests the panic that the threat of the masses aroused. So W.B. Yeats recommended Nietzsche as a counteractive to the spread of democratic vulgarity. And George Bernard Shaw nominated Thus Spake Zarathustra as the first modern book. Have a good Shabbos. Bye-bye.